1: Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Transforming Your Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham.
0: Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, I could absolutely tell you you're in the right place just because you are. Welcome to Transforming Your Business with Game Changers Radio. I'm your producer, host, moderator. Delighted to be here, and I will tell you that our topic today is Wake Up Retailers. Even if you're not a retailer, I think you'll want to listen to this because I know everybody out there in our audience all over the world, you are at least a consumer. So our hyper-connected networked economy has created a very fast-paced environment. It's great for business growth. It is just crying out for innovation and optimization. I have good news. Many retailers understand this. They get it, and they're taking advantage of this trend. And what are they doing about it? Delivering innovative consumer experiences Great experiences. We want more. We want to be loyal. We want to come back and we want to keep being their customers. But there's some not so good news on the other side. Some retailers are just hanging back on the fence waiting too long and some are saying, nah, I don't think I want to adapt to this at all. Guess what's going to happen to them? just might happen that the consumer will define the strategy for these retailers. And the question on the table is, is that what they really want? You want your strategy, your future controlled by the consumer? Well, it's going to happen if you don't do something about it. We have a panel of three retail experts, also networked economy experts. We're going to see if we can solve this one and figure it out. So first up, I'm pleased to welcome Brent Brown. He's the Director of Retail Solutions and Strategy for HP's WW Enterprise Services team. That's a big business card, Brent. And Brent sent me this humongous quote from the movie Caddyshack. Anybody scratching their head? 1980 American sports comedy film directed by Harold Ramos. Do I need to say any more? Here's the quote. So we finish the 18th, and he's going to stiff me. And I say, hey, llama, hey, how about a little something, you know, for the effort, you know? And he says, oh, uh, there won't be any money, but when you die in your deathbed, you'll receive total consciousness, so I got that going for me, which is nice. That's quoting Bill Murray as Carl Spackler in Caddyshack. I hope I did it justice, although my voice wasn't very deep. Brent Brown, how are you today?
2: I'm very well, Bonnie. Thank you.
0: Fascinating quote. Tell me, how does that relate to our topic? We're talking about shaping the future of retail. What does Caddyshack have to do with the future of retail?
2: Well, it just happens to be, I guess, one of my all-time favorite movies and uh, really a cult classic. But, uh uh, it's actually a, a very interesting little scene where Bill Murray is telling a story to another, you know, fellow caddy, but he's holding him ransom at uh, at the end of a pitchfork, which is uh, comical in of itself. But sort of the the interesting quote in in there to me that relates to our topic today, Bonnie, is really related to the fact that he says, you know, when he um, you know he caddies and and he delivers this this service to the to the Dalai Lama the lama doesn't pay him for his service and uh he tells him that there's no money involved but when he dies he's going to receive total consciousness and and to me uh i chuckled at i've always chuckled at that line but it, it sort of makes me feel a little bit like a consumer these days as it relates to my relationship with uh with the retailers where i buy that they don't really give me any value for what i do for them they they deliver me back something or they'll tell me a story and they'll say, here is something for you. And I'll look at that and I'll say, that's really not what I'm looking for. Uh, now, Carl took a, a much more optimistic view on the uh, on the line uh, from the Dalai Lama. But I, I wonder sometimes myself, uh, when I think about what the retailers are offering back to the consumer, you know, is it really of the value that the retailers are looking, or sorry, that the consumers mm-hmm. are looking for and, uh, you know, perhaps we don't always think about, uh, uh, about it in a positive way, and that's because it's really maybe not of any value to us. So that's the purpose of the quote, and uh, maybe sometimes as consumers we feel a little bit that way from the retailer's offers.
0: I think we feel that way too often, Brent. I'm just going to put that out there. Thank you. Very interesting quote. I think we can put you down in the Guinness book of SAP Game Changers Radio as sending the longest quote from a movie. I'll go that far. I won't say anything else. Thank you, Brent Brown. Pleasure to have you on the show. And I'd like to welcome back our second panelist. It's Brian Kilcores, who is a managing partner at RSR Research. That's Retail Systems Research, which is exactly why he's here. And Brian chose to send me a very, very, very short quote. Four words think global, act local. And Brian, I did some look up and I found out it was actually used, attributed in town planning to Patrick Getty's 1915 book, Cities in Evolution. He was a Scottish pioneering town planner. It was also attributed to David Brower, founder of the Friends of the Earth in 1969, an environmentalist. It was also attributed to Stuart Grauer, 1989 University of San Diego Publications, Think Globally, Act Locally. And it's also been attributed to Sony and other corporations that started the glocalization concept. Way more information than you wanted to know. Brian Gilchores, that was a short quote and a long explanation. How are you, Brian? Welcome back.
3: I'm doing well this morning, Bonnie. Thank you.
0: Thanks for joining me. Talk to me.
3: Well, think global, act local. um, One of the things that's really happened in this world is, of course, it's gotten much, much, much smaller. And you see this every day. I get onto my computer every morning, and I see the news from across the globe. And, uh, of course, retailers know that the supply chain is now truly global. But consumption is always, think of it as hyperlocal. It's it's individuals consume goods and services it's not there's no such thing as an average person there's no such thing as a demographic that consumes it's always an individual and uh, individuals consumers are demanding th- through through the digital domain to be paid attention to they want the attention because they're trying to solve a lifestyle issue But on the other side of the equation, at the top of the ecosystem, of course, it's global. The the solution to that particular lifestyle problem can come from any place. I heard um, uh, Hillary Clinton talk in 2008 in San Francisco when she was the Secretary of State, and she talked about the the participation society, and she said essentially that everybody on the entire planet is a participant in this global economy, and I buy into that thought completely.
0: Okay, thank you very much. Good point. I I love a short quote because there's usually so much meat on the bones, Brian, when you get around to taking it apart. And yes, thank you very much, and welcome back on the panel. Good to have you back again. And rounding out our panel today is a newcomer to SAP Radio. It's Tim Hood, Global Vice President of Strategic Technologies, Chief Solution Architect for Retail at SAP. And here's an original Tim Hood quote. I want you to all notice this: In the networked economy retailers must embrace the opportunities and manage the challenges in order to be successful. And I think we've already heard about some of those opportunities and challenges. Welcome, Tim
4: Hood. How are you today? Thank you, Bonnie. I'm very well. Uh, I actually note that I emphasize the and because it's such a significant part of the uh, quote. And I also feel a little lazy that uh, you know both of my colleagues came up with legendary quotes and I made up my own. So, I apologize for that. But well, Tim, you may have
0: just become a legend today. That's that's the point here. So, we'll you know, yeah. sit back and embrace the glory. Go ahead, Tim. Talk to me about how this relates
4: to our topic. Very good. I mean, I think the, the key points being that the networked economy, there's the technology exists uh, on both sides of a retailer, right? That there are interactions with the consumers, but also interactions with their business partners that uh, provide great opportunities. There are many ways that consumers can interact with retailers, whether it's on a web or their social media mentions. In some cases, the the consumer may not even know they're interacting with the retailer, but that's an opportunity for the retailer to gather information, understand their consumer better, understand them in a uh, anonymous way, but also in a individual way. And at the same time, there is the business networks that are evolving, uh, and there are opportunities there for the business partners uh, to collaborate, uh, but what it takes is a requirement that the, those the retailers and their their um, providers actually change the way they think about each other. There's often an adversarial mindset that requires that, that needs to be changed in order to really optimize this. And then, of course, the other side is, and we all hear about it on a regular basis and I have to live it, is that there are privacy and security challenges abound in the new networked economy that really we have to manage, and and you have to have both sides of this covered in order to to thrive as a retailer in this new economy.
0: I'm glad you emphasized that. I was going to ask you about privacy and security. Tim, you mentioned the word anonymous just a couple of seconds ago. Is that related to this privacy and security issue?
4: Of course. Uh, The first thing is there's almost nothing is truly anonymous. Uh, That's the Mm first point that really needs to be uh, Emphasize because most people don't realize that they're leaving breadcrumbs everywhere, digital breadcrumbs, their yep. phone. Uh, you leave a trail that follows you around uh, just on your phone, just you, physically, where you walk around on the day during your day. And then if you use your phone, like many of us do for browsing, you now leave a trail of what you're looking at, what you're interested in. So there is really very little that's truly anonymous. Uh, even if you go to a website, and you you don't log in. You're actually you may have a cookie if you allow it, or even we can you know the the website knows the IP. Uh, and again, that can be anonymized, but very few things are really truly anonymous in the world today. But it is important for retailers to leverage, you know, the demographic kind of information to understand at a at a high level and in a, in a group level what what their consumers are thinking, doing, uh, behaving and then combine that with the individual information that you may have about an identified consumer, someone who has actually logged in and purchased something on a web shop or as part of your loyalty program. So it's, it's mm-hmm. important to take both sides of that. Very, happy. very,
0: very important points. And Tim and uh, Brent and Brian, if anybody doesn't follow some of the CSI types of investigative reporting crime shows on TV, all you need to do is tune into one episode of any of the CSI franchise (laughs) or anything else and see how criminals or missing persons, let's just leave that in a big bucket without saying who's who, uh, can be tracked and found. Oh, they used their credit card at this gas station. Oh, they went here. Oh, we picked up a signal. They pinged off the cell. Yes, the GPS on that car is here and there. It is happening and it's not fiction. It's real. So if you have any doubts, as a matter of fact, I read an article, and I won't get into the very dicey details, but you cannot have any, shall we say, mm. Funky behavior in the back of an Uber cab. Because think about it. You call them. You have the app. They have your credit card. They have your location on GPS. They know everything about you. Uber is tracking your activities, and that means somebody else's too. I leave that to the imagination. So let's go back to Brent Brown. Get back on terra firma here. Brent Brown, you know that Transforming Your Business with Game Changers Radio is part of our bigger show, Coffee Break with Game Changers. So I want to know... Where are you calling from? What time of the day is it? What's in your cup right now? Or if it's nothing too interesting, like your Caddyshack story was fascinating, well, what are you planning to drink after the show? Brent Brown, go ahead.
2: Uh, thanks, Bonnie. Um, yeah, I'm uh, actually sitting in my home office in, uh, in Toronto uh, this week, uh, calling in. It's 10.13 uh, uh, a.m. Uh, Eastern time and uh, uh so i'm i'm well past the uh the early breakfast time but i i am planning on having a uh, scrumptious uh smoothie shake at the uh, conclusion of uh, of of the call loaded with uh with rich uh uh fruits and uh, also spinach vegetable in it as i uh need to consume more of this as i recuperate from uh ACL knee surgery that I had about six weeks ago. So um, those things are important to, uh, to, to is build right. up my but strength again.
0: <laughs> Brent, everybody, I, I can hear Brian in the back, everybody wants to know what fruit goes with spinach in a smoothie. So why don't you just give us a list of the top three or four. Come on, we need a recipe here.
2: <laughs> well, Brent. You know, bananas, strawberries, uh, blackberries, and blueberries are, are my favorites to go with it. But believe it or not, uh, spinach uh, isn't tasted inside a smoothie. Uh, it may change the color, but you won't taste
0: it. I had a feeling. Any sweetener, any agave sugar or uh, honey. uh anything? Honey. Hm. Honey. honey. Ooh. Thank you. I don't know you that well. I'm sorry I had to go there. <laughs> Brian Kil- good mood today. Brian kill it's a beautiful sunny day here in New York. We had a, a one day snow on Thursday or Friday it was, and it disappeared and it's just gorgeous. Blue skies, no clouds, and it's a happy day here. Brian Kilcouris, what are you drinking or what do you plan to drink after the show? Can you top uh, well, I've that been up one for
3: a couple of I've been up for a couple mm-hmm. of hours, Bonnie. I've been. Uh, it's out, I'm out here near San Francisco. I'm. All I'm going to tell you is it's absolutely gorgeous. It's going to hit the 80s today or this week. And <gasps> uh, if you were smart, you'd move west. Just come west. <laughs> it's good. Um, and uh, like all true Bay Area uh, bigots, I'm drinking Pete's coffee. And uh, I know this is not the most interesting thing in the world. But after the the travel that I've been doing recently, I'm just craving black Pete's coffee. Espresso Forte in the morning and Top Blend in the afternoon, and uh, I'll drink it all day long. And if they ever find out that coffee isn't good for me or carcinogenic or something, <laughs> I'm just toast. Oh, um, you're but...
0: <laughs> Well, it's too late, but you've gone on record as saying you're a devotee and it's part of your day. And I'm proud of you, Brian, for being so honest. Yes, thank you for the descriptions. And you know what? There's nothing boring about a great cup of coffee. That's perfect. So thank no, you for no sharing. Way. Tim Hood, I can't ask you to top those two, so just tell us, where are you? What time of day is it? and Are you drinking something fascinating, or what are your plans?
4: Funnily enough, I'm sitting in my home office just outside of Toronto as well. Didn't know that Brent was local to me. And, Brian, we actually have seasons here. You should try it. (laughs) We have seasons, (laughs) we have wet, and we have dry. (laughs) So, funnily enough, I have pretty much all of the above. I have coffee. I have a nice black coffee, uh, because all I want in my coffee is coffee. Uh, but I also have a smoothie, interestingly enough, because it's my wife's subversive thing to get me to eat healthier. Uh, but I did draw the line at kale, so that doesn't go in my smoothie. <laughs> but it is bananas, blueberries, and some other healthy things, almond milk and some other things that she won't tell me. But uh, I did draw the line at kale because I don't like a green smoothie. I can't quite do that. <laughs> okay, so that rules out I the spinach. <laughs> yes, I have three because I've been talking for several hours, as many of you have as well. And I have to have some water to keep me able to talk, so I'll, I, I top it up with water. Sounds like
0: the bar is filled with all your favorites to keep you going. I, uh, As Brian Kilcross knows, I usually say they don't allow Bonnie to have caffeine on radio show days. We all know why. (laughs) But this, I will admit that I do have a special smoothie I I developed years ago. I have one of those little, it's like a portable, almost a throwaway Hamilton Beach blender that doesn't have a high or low switch. It just has a little button you push, and it just whirs around. It's enough for probably about 12 ounces of liquid. I put in about 6 ounces of very cold skim milk. A small ice cube... A couple of squirts of agave, and today, because the bananas are not ripe enough, darn it, I'm using jumbo fresh strawberries, and that gets me going in the morning, in addition to the water during the radio show. So, Brian, now you know a little bit more about me besides the water. Guess what? We have had a good opening section, session, segment here, whatever you want to call it. Our topic today is the networked economy, shaping the future of retail. We have a great panel, great personalities, a lot of good information coming. I'm speaking with Brent Brown at HP's WW Enterprise Service, Team. I'm speaking with Brian Kilcourse, a returning guest, managing partner at RSR Research. That's Retail Systems Research LLC and Tim Hood at SAP, Chief Solution Architect for Retail at SAP. I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, and I'm planning to be after the break. When we come back, Brent Brown has the uh, drawn, the lucky straw, and he's going to be kicking off our round table, and we're going to be talking about some interesting information from the NRF, that's the National Retail Federation. During the break, you can all go out and look up a little more about Caddyshack over about anybody who was attributed in the list for Think Global, Act Local. We'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Bread out.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We are witnessing a monumental shift in the way work and business are done. Leaders are looking to radically simplify their organizations while simultaneously engaging and empowering employees to achieve more. These leaders are also seeking to leverage exciting innovations born from interactions between people, businesses, and things in our newly responsive and intelligent, hyper-connected, networked global economy. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how leaders and their teams can help shape the future of change. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Transforming Your Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to Bonnie.d.gram at SAP.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show using Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to transforming your business with game changers.
0: There we are, and that's exactly what we're going to do. And by the way, speaking of Twitter, thank you to our voiceover gentlemen. R.C. Rogers. I want to do a shout out to Wilson Zhu, that's Z-H-U, and he goes by the handle at T-H-E-Z-H-U on Twitter right now, and he's tweeting at hashtag SAP Radio, as is Stephen Sparrow. Good to see you, Stephen. Stephen and Wilson are tracking all of the wows, I call them, words of wisdom from my panelists, and thank you both. And Stephen is tweeting very appropriately at Retail Bird, B-I-R-D, which goes with his last name, Sparrow. I didn't really need to explain that. It's time for our roundtable. Brent Brown, your First up, and Brent, you sent me the following comments in your notes before the show. I think this is a great place to start. You say, a quote from National Retail Federation, Know your shopper as a segment of one while understanding that the retail store matters now more than ever before. And I'll read one more line. While technology is bringing radical changes to how people shop, the brick-and-mortar store remains the core of retail. And I think in the news recently, we're finding out that even online, major retailers are going back to the roots of brick-and-mortar. Brent, why don't you start us off, please?
2: Yeah, sure. Thanks, Bonnie. Um, You know, I think about the statement, it sort of goes back to the – To the Caddyshack quote that knowing the shopper is a segment of one that you know clearly, you know each of us as a consumer understand that we are looking for value associated with who we are and what we typically buy, and I think that's still something that retailers are struggling with. Um, this this statement was actually two years old from the national retail federation but to me it sort of stands out as something that's still very pertinent to the to the industry and to uh... the retailers directions and to us as well as consumers and and so we care about you know value we care about you know our shopping experience and we wanted to be we want to be treated uh, like individuals uh... and not lumped in with other groups so that's the first part of the statement the second part of the statement is that the store matters, you know, more than ever before. I think is also very important to the retailers that we're dealing with, and, and uh, as they look at their investments that they're making, and of course, there's lots of statistics out there about, you know, the changing model of, of consumers' buying patterns and things shifting towards online. And while that is true, it still reflects, you know, a smaller portion of the overall spend. And I believe that the experience that people have when they're inside the brick-and-mortar store is absolutely the thing that's going to influence them long-term. And I think this statement, while a couple of years old, is still very relevant um, to, uh, to both retailer and to consumer today.
0: Thank you. Brian Kilcores,
3: thoughts? Well, yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think he's right on. Uh, Brent is right on. You know, the consumers are, as I said earlier, are individuals. They're not a. They're not a demographic. Don't fit into an average. Although I have to say, every time I hear about the average middle-aged white guy, I think God, that just described me. Um, but, um, <laughs> but we're not. We're not an average. We're not a number. We have individual needs. And 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 the one thing that people don't have enough of. Uh, is time, and so they're they 're looking to outsource a a problem to somebody now it might be that they want to put healthy food on the table, so they outsource that problem in a way to their favorite grocer uh, or they're or they 're trying to look good for the opening of the opera at the other end of the extreme and uh, so they 're willing in a way to outsource their problem to their favorite high end retailer. I happen to be a rock and roll musician, so I like to outsource my challenges to my favorite uh, suppliers of musical gear. Um, and um, you know, people are just looking for somebody that they can trust, and trust is not is it's not a, a demographic; it's an individual thing. So you're trusting these these uh, organizations. And Brent also mentioned that um, the store is important. Our research shows uh, pretty conclusively that the smartest retailers, the overperformers, are the ones that are using the digital domain to 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 take get people to go back to the stores and to enjoy the stores. And I think that goes back to something that I experienced when I was a CIO at a drugstore chain on the west coast Uh, it was called Long's Drugs and my boss was a guy named Bob Long and he used to stress over and over and over again that shopping is entertainment Mm. there's a lot of social value in shopping that uh, Mm -hmm. the people who thought it was going away forgot about Um, you know for example uh, the digital domain can't answer the fundamental question how does this make me look um, you have to find that out by trying something on, or how does this melon smell, or is this coffee fresh, or whatever it is that you're trying to enjoy. So it's a social social activity, and, and it's the blending of the digital experience with the physical where, where we are as an industry right now, trying to figure out the best way to do that. This inevitably brings up the, the kind of stuff that Tim was talking about having to do with privacy, and, and this gets to the next issue, I'm sure. Um, Mm -hmm. but, But we're individuals, we want to be treated like individuals, we want to engage in a dialogue with solutions providers who happen to be this ecosystem of value delivery that's represented by the retailer.
0: Very interesting. When you said shopping is entertainment, that just popped into my head, the fact that Selfridge, Mr. Selfridge, the um, masterpiece classic that's following on the heels of the ending of season whatever of Downton Abbey on our PBS channel 13 here in New York, they did a preview and last night of what's coming in season three. But, Brian, Harry Gordon Selfridge grasped the idea that shopping is entertainment. It's an experience. It's grand. It's Welcome the customer. Make them feel wonderful. Don't put one pair of gloves on the counter. Show all the gloves in the glass showcase so they can be regaled and they can say oh that looks good let me try that on he understood that and that entertainment i wonder how many retailers would do well to watch mr selfridge and see what the heck this guy was doing so long ago but i digress any comments on that brian before i bring in tim hood into the conversation
3: well you're exactly right i was i was uh, on, I was in a discussion with the CIO of uh, the Air Force uh, Exchange Services uh, the, the other night down in Dallas. And uh, I was talking about the joy that I used to have as a kid. My I, I was a Navy brat, and my dad would get paid once a month. And we'd all pile into the car, and we'd go down to the commissary. And we'd spend a whole day. And you know what? It was just a hoot. What were we buying? We were buying milk and orange juice and bread. And it was good. We just had a great time. It was entertaining.
0: I know. We used to dress up to go shopping, but I used to dress up to go on an airplane, too. And boy, have those days (laughs) changed. But, you know, there's always an awareness how you look when you go in a store is how, I think, how they treat you. And there used to be a thought that when you went into a high-end retailer focused on women's apparel like Lord & Taylor or uh, a couple of the others that are no longer around – how did the salesperson perceive you? Were you rich enough to be shopping in her department? Would she pay attention to you? Very interesting dynamic. Today, they don't want to pay attention no matter how, mo- how well you're dressed. <laughs> but I digress again. Tim Hood, we have to get
4: you in on this. What are your thoughts, please? <laughs> That's interesting. I'll pick up on that just because for some reason, just yesterday, I read a quote from Pretty Woman, the movie, and the, the quote was, you work on commission, right? Big mistake. But interestingly enough, that does also tie into our conversation because now the you know the information is there for a store associate to have not just what's in front of them visually, but they can have information on a tablet or something like that about the customer. So you actually can get a lot more information about that, and that's possible today. It's just the only, as Brian called them, the winners or the leaders are doing so. So I would pick up on that store comment as well. For me, you know, it was frustrating uh, because I started in retail in the stores um, to see people in the last, you know, 10 years ago saying, oh, e-commerce, everything will be e-commerce. And it was like, no, people want to shop. Humans Mm -hmm. want to shop. We do. So we talked about, you know, Brian mentioned, you know, the e-commerce thing is about also about pushing people to the store. I take that one step further and that is bringing the digital experience into the store. The thing that you, the, the kind of experience you can get on a web shop. How do we get that into the store? And so we're starting to see the retailers, those progressive retailers, really pick that up. How do I give the same experience where I can actually give a reasonable suggestion to a consumer, one that's practical and relevant to that consumer in the store? Because on the web shop, you, you can. I mean, we know that. We have that experience. Now we're trying to say, well, how can we bring lifestyle information into the store? How can we provide that to the consumer in the store? So I see it Really, as, a, as Brent was mentioned right off the top, but it's, it's basically a, a reinvention of the store and reinvigoration of the store. The other thing that I find interesting when I talk to retailers is, again, the big kahuna, certainly in North American retailing and globally is Amazon, and there's one in China as well. And really... For me, I always keep mentioning, well, what is Amazon doing? Building more distribution centers, getting closer to the customer. Well, Mr. Retailer, you're already there. It's a competitive advantage. You have the store, you have the products, you have the people close to the consumers. Leverage it. Right? It's, it's really an interesting paradigm that the, 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 there was this fear uh, of, of someone coming into their space, but in fact, they already have a competitive advantage. They just have to leverage it and, and really invest in it, in both the people and the infrastructure in those stores to really... Uh, provide that experience to the consumer, which then goes back to the first point about, you know, what's a relevant experience for me is different than uh, maybe not so much different because I'm also a middle-aged white guy, Brian, but uh, <laughs> I'm not a rock and roll guy, but um, you know, from my wife, from my kids, right. As an example, they all have different expectations and experience. And I do think finally, the generational, uh, evolution also changes things. I right? think the, the millennial generation, the one that follows whatever name gets on it, uh, finally, um, is a social, a social generation inherently, inherently, uh, share everything. And yet that's not first nature for people of my generation and older generations, but you know, the retailers need to acknowledge that and embrace it, right? And, and interact with the, those, uh, those people in the way that they expect. Um, So I think Mm -hmm. it's also some great opportunities there.
0: And, Tim, you said retailers need to pay attention to the people and the infrastructure. I think that's the winning combination, and pay attention is the operative verb. Pay attention. Look at what's going on in your stores. Who is at the cash register? Who's on the sales floor? Who is greeting the customer? How do your layouts look? What's the experience when somebody walks in the store? It's so fundamental. It's so basic, for goodness mm-hmm. sake. Brent Brown, comments on this great thread you started for us before I moved to something new with Brian Kilcourse. Brent?
2: Well, I... For fear of uh, derailing and and introducing a a new nugget to the dialogue, I think there is an interesting theme that's going on relative to what what Brian and Tim have both shared. And, and, And it comes back to the fact that the consumers themselves, and I think there are segments of those consumers who are concerned about the integrity of their information as they begin to be recognized and pulled into conversation and relationship with the retailer so when we think about you know the whole introduction of social uh, dynamics and and how the retailers are beginning to want to leverage that information into the whole buying and shopping experience and i frankly i'm not sure that we we've, we've gone as far as we need to to go with with leveraging that information i mean there's really two Two threads I'm I'm sharing here. One is the whole aspect of security and secure, you know, sort of of a secured identity that a consumer can have in relationship, um, you know, with a retailer. And and I think there are segments of shoppers who are more concerned with the security relationship than others. Um, But ultimately, at the end of the day, retailers are going to be leveraging the information in uh... you know in their uh, in their world around transactional data that happens in the store you know information that happens as as consumers interact online but then there's all of this social information that's being shared dynamically and you know i think one of the big challenges that retailers are gonna have to to face is really how do we pull all that together i mean i i i don't want to use the term because it's probably overused but people you know associate this with big data and, and how do we make, you know, use of this information to better deliver an experience for the consumer? But it has to be done in a way that there's, you know, we still have a secured identity for the consumer. And I think you know, as we talk about these things, that, that there's still big challenges on the other end for the retailers to get there. But it, it's possible. That, that's the great news. The technology mm-hmm. is there to, uh, to deliver on it. You just yes, have to know Mr. what Mr. to Tim, do with I, it.
4: I, I, Go ahead, Tim. I definitely, I definitely think that's a key point. I mean, uh, you talked about... People don't necessarily understand. I, you know, there's this basic concept of opt-in, but I'm convinced that most people have no clue what they're opting into. I, we know in this group and some people that we work with understand what they really have just said yes to. But I really believe most consumers, certainly my father, has no idea what he just said okay to. So I think we, we have a significant challenge from a retail because, um, the capabilities we as, as technology providers can give to the retailers and what they can, you know, they can execute themselves probably goes a little bit beyond what they should do, right? There's the the infamous creep story, you know, with um, the pregnancy message from one of the major retailers to a family that wasn't aware that there was someone pregnant in the house. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there, there is... It's, that's a classic. The information is available, and now the question is much more than just should we, but really, it's, it's not can we, but should we is, is the proper way mm-hmm. to phrase it. And that's a question that's an interesting question because it hasn't happened in the past. Right? This is a new kind of question. Historically, it was we have so little information inside the retail walls. How can we leverage every little last bit of it? You know, And I know retailers haven't leveraged it all um, <clears throat> historically, but now there's so much more that's possible that we really have some questions that go much beyond technology and now it's about business choices and business practices.
0: Thank you, Tim. I want to go in a slightly different direction. I'm looking at Brian. And that was a a great thread, by the way. Brian Kilcourse, I'm looking at your notes here. Something interesting I don't think we've touched on yet. You say the retail value chain is not a chain at all. So I'm going to call this our myth-busting segment. You want to take (laughs) us through why? And why did it get called a chain in the first place? Just a lazy five-letter word? Brian, give us a little etymology here. Talk to me.
3: Well, it was a chain, perhaps. Uh, it was uh, the retail value chain started with raw materials uh, suppliers and went to a manufacturer shop and a manufacturer d- developed product. And the product got put on a ship, and it was shipped across the water. It landed in Long Beach or someplace else and uh, was was you know, brought into the country and then distributed to retailers who then distributed it to, re- to uh, consumers, and that's the way it was. And uh, and so it has a very chain-like behavior. We we started to think about it as a value chain or a supply chain. Um, the problem, uh, the problem with that is, is it's not really quite accurate, and and the, the consumer. Routinely breaks the chain-like behavior of the legacy of the legacy environment. Think about it this way: How many? How often have you been standing in a store and you're, for example, you might be at Best Buy and you're looking at um, you're, you're looking at Sony Direct's website uh, or the mobile the mobile capability to see. Uh, something about the, the specifications for a Sony television that you're looking at right there on the sales floor. By the way, Sony will sell you that, that television if you want, if you're not finding exactly what you're looking for. The reason I use that particular example, because that's exactly what happened to me some years ago. I think it was around 2000. I can't remember what the year was. But um, I actually was standing in a, in, a, in an electronics store, but I bought it directly from the manufacturer. Mm. So who's the retailer in that in that model? Um, is it the manufacturer? Have I become my own retailer? Am I the first aggregation uh-huh. of demand? Um, it occurred to me, I was listening to a speaker one time, and he was saying that, that what's really going on in this world is more like a pond than a chain. And if you think about a pond, uh, if, you've ever, if you've ever tried to maintain a, a an ornamental pond in your backyard, you know it's an ecosystem of, of moving parts that all have to work harmoniously together. And um, it's it's not it's not serial in nature. It's more holistic in nature. And I really think that that's what the value, the value ecosystem. Is. It's not a chain at all.
0: Interesting. You think it's a pond made up of Venn Venn circles, possibly like a Venn diagram, where they're intersecting <laughs> at various points. Yeah, I love my Venn, Venn, diagram Venn diagram
3: reference. Yeah. You, there, you like there's. So, for example, retailers are are very good at certain things. I, I, I've said many times that they're the first level of demand ag- aggregation. That's their role in this ecosystem. They they aggregate demand so that it can be serviced uh, in a way that, that that is economical, is profitable for them, of course, and for the other players in the chain, and still delivers individuals what they are looking for. Um, yeah, so you can use a Venn diagram. It works pretty well. Um, I just want to... Couple- Brian,
0: I just want to intersect here, interject here for a second. We may have some very young listeners who have no blank blank clue what a Venn diagram is. I just want to put that <laughs> side note in here, please, if, if my esteemed panel, who I believe are all of an age where they know, uh, this is something I learned way back in another millennium. A Venn diagram, V-E-N-N, is a diagram that shows all possible logical relationships between a finite collection of different sets. It was conceived in 1880 by John Venn, V-E-N-N. It's used to teach elementary set theory as an example of set relationships in probability, logic, statistics, linguistics, and, oh my goodness, computer science. So if you take a circle called A and a circle called B and you intersect them together like those magical rings that the walk-around magician does at a party, and that little place where they intersect is something they share, the two sets have in common, that's what a simplistic Venn diagram is. Brian, how did I do on that, okay?
3: You're killing me. That was great. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't heard it described that well since statistics in college. That was fabulous.
0: <laughs> Thank you. I teach occasionally, but I should. maybe that's my retirement profession as a teacher. Thank you, Brian. I interrupted you, and I'm sorry. Where did you want to go with this? Go ahead.
3: Well, we um, Brenton and uh, Brent and Tim both said something that I thought was really interesting, and it gets back to this issue of the stores. And um, and I mentioned the stores in, in in my earlier comments. The stores are still the destination for for consumers, and the numbers are pretty pretty telling. Um, but the, the the thing that's important to remember is that consumers are now starting their dialogue when they're outside of the store, a long time before they go to the store. And and I, I use this a little bit of hyperbole, but I use this in, in speeches that I give, that for the first time in the history of our species, and that's a long time, um, the consumer is now carrying the store around with them in their pockets and their mm-hmm. purses. Mm-hmm. And so what they're engaging in is a dialogue. It happens to be in the digital domain. And then they and and nine times out of ten they then complete that dialogue in the store. So the question for us as 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 retail practitioners is how do we join those things together in a way that is pleasing for the customer but still very respectful of the information that they have shared. And that gets to the issue that Tim was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um and it's Tim? a
4: huge challenge for us. Yeah. Yeah.
3: It is. So, Brian, Tim, I want you to, to come Tim in up.
1: here.
4: I Mm -hmm. I would say that the consumer doesn't have to – the journey doesn't have to finish in the store. I think that's an interesting opportunity for collaboration, right, to use your example of you purchased from Sony while you were standing in an electronics shop. I think the other example would be to purchase from the retailer but have the, the manufacturer deliver the product to the consumer, right? So there's an opportunity to collaborate there where every party wins, and yet obviously for retail that's the best kind of inventory, the one they never hold, right? So I think there's also opportunities where, you know, the 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 journey the 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 process flow certainly you know doesn't complete in the store the consumer may finalize the transaction and say okay I'm done I've purchased it but it can be delivered uh, later and I think that's one of the great opportunities for retailers to leverage their stores as not necessarily distribution centers but as uh, showrooms right so that they can say you can see it touch it feel it and then we have just one we don't have to carry 20 of them so that I can fulfill all the demand from the store but I can carry one So you can see it, touch it, and feel it, and then have it delivered after the fact. And a great way to optimize this, I won't call it chain, the the pond, the supply pond. The The pond, the vents, the floating vents. (laughs) Yes.
0: I like Um, the floating vent circles. But Tim, Tim and Brian, Tim and Brian, I want Brent to get into this. The term loyalty, I know that, Brian, uh, you've said loyal, customer loyalty is a misnomer, but if you go in a store, you talk to Best Buy, you engage maybe the salesman, or you just read the card next to the TV, and it tells you all the specs. You look it up on your iPad, your iPhone, your Android, whatever you do, and then you contact Sony or whatever, and and or LG, and you buy the TV direct. Where is your loyalty? Best Buy doesn't have your loyalty. They were just a stop-off, showcase, show floor kind of a thing. They don't have your loyalty at all. Oh, I'm grateful they let me look at the TV and touch it. But you're not loyal to Best Buy. You're still a a manufacturer's customer. How does that work into when retailers want to build loyalty and you're not buying from them directly? What does that do? Anybody?
2: <clears throat> yeah, well, Bonnie, I. This to... is uh, this is Brent. I'll, I'll make a comment. Go ahead, on that, Brent. I, I'm, yeah, I believe that that loyalty you know is is really um, you know it, it's being eroded significantly. And and you know come back to the point that if if you want loyalty from your consumers you need to deliver value to them and you know i think about you know brian's story about standing in in the best buy uh location if they were quick to understand that he were there that he was standing there and that he was looking at it what should have happened was he should have been delivered something instantaneously to retain him in that store and to retain mm-hmm. the potential transaction and that yes. didn't happen so yes. he went and purchased, you know, outside of the walls of that store, and I think that's the that's the missing link. If I'm standing in a location, I want them to know that I'm there. I want them to understand who I am, and then I want them to give me something to incent me to stay. And that typically isn't happening today. And I, I, I that, so loyalty is eroding. That the brands are beginning to take this under their own control. We 're starting to see this I mean, all you have to do is walk around one of the you know the outlet malls uh, today and you 're starting to see more and more that the brands themselves are opening their own locations they, they don 't have faith that the retailers are able to express the value of their brand inside their store so now more and more we 're seeing even the fashion uh, retailers beginning to open their own locations so because they, they believe that that way they can express the value of their products and, and services uh, to the consumer. but I come back to the point. You know I'm there, all this technology, you understand it, so now give me something and incent me to stay and, and transact right there. And I think that, that's a piece that needs to happen.
0: Interesting. You Brian or this, Tim?
4: You, mm-hmm. yeah, you can see that the reverse is true as well, right, that retailers are often creating their own brands, in conjun- you know usually in conjunction with the same suppliers, it's just private label, but to try and provide a unique experience. I find it very interesting that BlaBla in Canada, the major grocer here, has a has private label. They started with the single private label that was No Name, right, which is a bottom-end, very basic, low-priced. They now have a black label, which is premium-priced. It costs more than the national brands. So they're 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 expanding their branding to try and change the way consumers behave, but also provide that unique experience. So definitely, you know, it it works both ways. Where the 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 retailers are trying to uh, create a brand. The other point I would bring is that the some of the best retailers are looking to supplement the product with a service of one form or another to say this is how they can provide something better than Sony just giving you the TV. Hey, I can install it for you. I can make sure it works with your other components in your home theater. I can provide you a a Saturday class on how to install it yourself if that's what you want. So I think there's lots of opportunities for retailers and brands, the ones that Are really progressive to provide that experience because to to what Brent says, loyalty is about value tit for tat. You give me something, I'll give you my information, you give me something back. But that something back doesn't have to be, you know, 10 points, which equates to a dollar. It could be from a fashion Mm -hmm. perspective, it can be early access, right? Those fashionistas, they get the, they can buy the products before they go on sale to the general product, uh, the general uh, public, right? So I can have a, I can be wearing the dress a week before anyone else. That's, that's mm-hmm. a value to that customer, right? It doesn't have to be a dollar or points or something like that. I think there's lots of opportunities for retailers to differentiate uh, based on experience and service uh, as well.
0: Well, if, if you're here in New York and you're a fan and a cardholder of TJ Maxx, which is also Marshalls and Home Goods, that's mm-hmm. their conglomerate, uh, you would have gotten a letter like I did in the mail, a hard copy letter that said, be at our store Saturday, March 28th between 7.30, ouch, mm-hmm. and 9.30 in the morning. We'll <laughs> give you a free TJ Maxx-labeled shopping bag, and you can walk around the store and fill it up with all kinds of goodies and then check out. <laughs> I happen to know the weight on the line, at my, and I adore shopping there. Mm-hmm. It's like going on a, a fantasy adventure whether I buy anything. I just like looking in their store. I just like being there. I go there often. Even if I don't want anything, I walk out empty-handed sometimes, and I'm just as happy. But I know the wait on that that checkout line is going to be twice as long as the time it took me to find one item. So there you go. But that, I've never seen that. Come at 7.30 on a Saturday. We'll give you a free shopping bag, one of those ones you can take to the grocery store and not have to use plastic, you know, the, the sturdy, reusable ones, and, and come have a good time on, on us at 7.30 in the morning on a Saturday. Ouch! I said that already. Uh, who We need to, let's see now, it's uh, 10 minutes till the end of the show. As Brian knows, sometimes we don't take a second break, and I think we're just having too much of a good conversation here to take a break. I don't want to stop the party. So I'm going to open it up. We've covered a lot of material here with Brent Brown, Tim Hood, Brian Kilcourse, who has something we didn't cover. And Tim, I typically would go to you and say, let's talk about something in your notes, but we got everything in. Uh, retailers are now asking, not can I, but should I? We've already yeah. talked about opt-in. Most people today do have a clue what they're agreeing to. I think probably those of us on this call, of course, we're different and special and we know, but a lot of <laughs> other people don't. We've talked about security and privacy. So Tim, I'll throw it open to you. Is there one topic that we didn't cover you'd like to talk about that we'll get Brent and Brian in briefly and then we'll move right into the predictions round. Tim?
4: Yeah, I think there's some really interesting opportunities that evolving now with what's proverbially called the Internet of Things, where a thing mm-hmm. now is a participant in the world. So my my smart refrigerator or my car is actually a thing that is an active participant in the digital ecosystem. There are lots of opportunities there. You know, we can, we, you know, we as AP are working with some of the car manufacturers there where, you know to help consumers find a parking spot, right? I need to park. Show me the open parking spots downtown Dusseldorf, as an example. But that mm-hmm. you know, if you can, you can extend that into uh, retail of various sorts. I'm hungry. What's the nearest of my favorite quick service restaurants? Or I need to, you know, uh, get some gas, and I also would like some food at the same time. Something like that. So there's lots of interesting opportunities there with the again, I, I'm not sure I love the term, but Internet of Things, where. It's not just people who are interacting through their computers or through their single devices. The devices themselves are now interacting with the retailer. So, again, one of my interesting examples is the smart refrigerator. I'm not sure mm-hmm. it's real, but, you know, the idea being, oh, I run out of milk. I maybe scan the barcode on the front, and it puts it on my, my grocery list, right? And I'm not sure it should buy it for me, but there are discussions <laughs> possible. But certainly, it, it, you know, I see no problem with making it on a list. Again, I think there's great opportunities for retailers to leverage this, but at the same time, there are security issues to be – security and privacy issues to be managed.
0: Very interesting, yes. And uh, I'm looking in your notes here, Tim, and you say – the smart refrigerator malware planted on such a device that is already authorized to connect to the grocer to add items to the list could wreak havoc with a DDOC, a DDOS, a denial of service attack. There, there are all kinds of options. We are opening up that proverbial Pandora's box. Anybody yeah. want to comment on that example, Brian or Brent?
3: <laughs> sure, I'll comment. Yeah. Um, um, uh, every time I see something like that, I I, I, I go back to the old adage. That it was something my old man used to say. It's, it's just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and my my favorite example of this is one that we all experience. It's the new it's the keyless fobs for your new for your automobile. I, I I finally got a car that has one of those things. I thought, what the heck was wrong with a key? Now I now I have this electronic device which theoretically could could break and then I have to replace it and because it's an expensive car it'd probably be an expensive thing. But um, um you know, just because you can do something you doesn't mean you necessarily should. I think everybody has their personal jumping off spot when it comes to technology. In the Bay Area right now they're experimenting with driverless autos and I think I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to stay in the house until they perfect this particular <laughs> technology. Um, um, you know, I was I was thinking about loyalty for a second. I just want to point something mm-hmm. out. I, you mentioned something from college, Bonnie, and I loved it, the Venn diagram thing. Um, I, when <laughs> Not I college, loyalty,
0: dear. Way back, way before college. <laughs> way yeah, okay, back okay, before okay, college. Okay. Thank you. You're um, too kind. Please continue. I, I,
3: Bless. I think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and how much you need mm. to know about your customer and, and, uh, and, and how much they need to know about you, and all these things are really tied very closely to what needs you're fulfilling. So I was thinking about um, the fact that there are many people that are very, very loyal to Walmart. And Walmart, of course, is the king of mass merchandisers, is the very antithesis of what we're talking about. And yet they know their customers, and they know what their customers are trying to do. They're trying to solve a certain lifestyle problem, and I would characterize what they're doing is, is you know, about, all about the sustainment of life. I need to put food on my table. I've got three kids, and my husband's unemployed, and I've got to do something about that. I've got to put a shirt on my back, those kinds of things. At the other extreme, there's, I always think of Neiman Marcus. I hope that there's nobody from Neiman Marcus is going to be offended by this. But there is not a thing in that store that any human on this planet needs. So why do you shop at Neiman Marcus? Because you can. <laughs> that's yes. why you do it.
0: That's why. It's, that's right. We don't need it. We just want to go see it and buy it. Who cares what just, we need? Yeah, I
3: mean, you want to buy it. So um, That's so, disposable so, income. So Walmart doesn't have to know a lot about their customers that they serve. Um, they serve the mass. And, uh, and Neiman Marcus, on the other hand, is truly clientele. It's one-to-one. And, um, and then there are variations in between. My favorite is Whole Foods. And um, my wife will drive past three Safeways and Knob Hill and two Trader Joe's for the privilege of spending more money at, Nob, at, uh, at Whole Foods. <laughs> Why does he oh. do that?
2: <clears throat> because oh. you trust them. Trust hey, uh, to, hey Bonnie, I'll just yes. add a little bit to uh, to that. Yes, as well, and by I, the
0: way, I can give you each 60 seconds for prediction. So whatever we use now is a little less. But go ahead. This is too good. We
2: need a part. We
0: need a part two. two. We got to get you back for part two. Go ahead. Who's talking now? Is that Brent?
2: Sorry, this is Brent. Bonnie. Yeah, I just yep. add that on the Internet of Things that uh, Tim's brought up. Totally agree that an area of focus. Um, we we're looking at this too around the the use case inside the retail environment, because the retailers themselves have a tremendous amount of technology, and that technology is communicating a lot of information, and the information itself is not being utilized. And, you know, you Mm -hmm. think about things like refrigeration inside the retail store, the opening and closing of door. there's data there associated with a transaction that isn't happening. And I think there's still large opportunity for us to really, you know, in the area of Internet of Things, to help the retailers look at their, their infrastructure layer and pull that information together into a seamless environment. I think there's still uh, lots of runway there for, uh, for savings and opportunity.
0: Good. Was that your prediction? Because I want you to fast yep. forward. Brent, you're up first. I have 60 <laughs> seconds. Exactly. Brian knows how fast this goes. We are at the end of the show. I'm going to give you 45 seconds predictions. Can you go to 2020? What year, day, month, week, or minute? Can you see Brent Brown? 45 seconds predictions. Go.
2: Okay. So I'm not sure which year it is, but I think it's coming <clears> fast. The, the the concept of a uh, consumer token or uh, identity token. And that token essentially will provide me, the consumer, the, the ability to share with the retailers I want to, who I am, what I want, I want it in a secured environment, and that that token will basically, um, you know, enable me to have a, a more intimate relationship with the people that I choose to. And I think when we have that sort of token uh, available to us on devices, then I think, uh, you know, our relationship will improve.
0: Thank you, Brian Kilcross. RSR Research. I can give you the same. four. Well, you can take one full minute because Brent was so concise. <laughs> Go ahead. One minute, Brian. Predictions. You've done this before. You know the drill. Go.
3: In the next two years, the public will have a great debate about uh, this issue of privacy and uh, and these non and these uh, non transactional digital signals that we're all leaving everywhere. It'll 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 hit it'll hit the headlines in the next two years in a way that it hasn't before. And we will finally have to come to a set of, of reasonable use cases that dictate the behaviors of retailers and governments and everybody else who uses that information. Thank
0: you very much. Tim Hood, SAP, I can give you exactly 45 seconds. Predictions, go.
4: I'm going to go out on a limb and say by 2020, most retailers and their suppliers will interact in real time during a transaction uh, to, to negotiate the offers that they can present to a customer or the delivery of the product which would be a radical oh. change from
0: today. Okay. You have two seconds left. One, one final sentence you want to add or you done? <laughs> I agree with uh, both other points from the <laughs> Thank video, you. Thank you very bad. much. Thank you. This has been a great conversation. I've been speaking with Brent Brown at HP, Brian Kilcourse at RSR Research, Tim Hood at SAP. I have some shout-outs to do. Wilson Zhu, Stephen Sparrow, Catherine Ferguson, Michael Mankowski have been our tweeters, official and otherwise, here at Hashtag SAP Radio. If you want to see all the words of wisdom they captured during the show, go to Hashtag SAP Radio. You can see their pictures and you can comment to them as well as to me, and I've retweeted everything. I'll be back this afternoon with episode number two in one of our newest series called Game Changing Women. That's right. I'll have two extraordinary panelists, Dr. Dana, Dana, R-D, A-R-D-I, and Dr. Patty Fletcher, and we'll be talking about... Are you on board with women in the boardroom? Dynamic topic. I think it's going to be a debate. You don't want to miss it. Noon today right here on the Business Channel. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and a shout-out to Brad, our engineer, and the Business Channel team. Here's my call to action. What are you waiting for? Fasten your seatbelt. Go out and be a game-changer today. I'll talk to you in one hour on Game Changing Women. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks again for tuning in to Transforming Your Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.